Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. My name's Dan Club and I'm joined as ever by co-host Dave Comerford. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Dave, this week we've gone down a, a bit of a different path for the podcast. We've um, branched off into our separate ways um, and we've been speaking to who we perceive to be Liverpool's main, I suppose, threats for the title next season. Um, I know City are currently holders, so to even class Liverpool's having a stake in that is quite bold. But um, yeah, so first of all, I'll ask how you're doing. Um, and I know we wanted to discuss the contract situation, which seems to be resolving itself at Liverpool. Um, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Dan. Um, Contract-wise, yeah, obviously, since we last recorded, um, I know for sure uh, Fabinho and, and Alisson. Um, Alisson, honestly, just minutes before we recorded this, have, uh, have you know, been tied down by the club. I think Trent might have been... Um, Surely before we did our last one, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, obviously with these contract renewals, I mean, all three of them so far were, I imagine, very easy to do. Um, and I also think, uh, I think I'm right in saying that Alisson and Fabinho um, went due to expire till 2024 anyway. Um, so there wasn't really an immediate urgency there. I think it just speaks to the the ease of the negotiations, really. Um, and it's it's always nice you know, when it's confirmed. And I think the club know, you know, timing-wise, obviously there's rumours say, circulating about, um, you know, the reigning champion signing two of the best players in the league. And they know that it, it is sort of a morale, a slight morale boost, whilst it, it also isn't remotely surprising at all that these things happen. But, yeah, I mean, with I mean, on Alisson and Fabinho, like, you know, it's just... I think they're both players that I'd describe as sort of reassuring um, to have in your team because, you know, we spoke, we had an episode dedicated to Alisson and we kind of reached a conclusion he was maybe the best all-round keeper in the league and then there's no one no one sensible is denying that Fabinho isn't one of the very best in, in his position either. So, so yeah, good news on that front. And um, hopefully, um, as we kind of alluded to last week, it hasn't, you know, eaten into too much of the... Of the coffers, really, I suppose, uh, for for possible transfers. Yeah, and another thing to to um, point out on that, obviously, the Trent deal went beforehand as well, and it's kind of the way in which these new contracts have come about, almost under the radar. Like we all knew they were happening and in the pipeline for this summer, and there's a couple more to sort out into the Mane, Salah, probably Jordan Henderson as well, um, and I probably missed a couple there. But it's the fact that they weren't really. Um, speculated about and there wasn't really rumours in the days building up it was just all of a sudden you know Trent, Fabinho and Alisson had all signed new deals and it was like confirmed by the club before it was confirmed by anybody else which gives me and hopefully other Liverpool fans hope that some transfer deals can, uh, can happen in the same manner but yeah we will move on um, and we're going to go straight into like I say so we spoke to journalists who cover Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea this week as we view them as probably Liverpool's biggest rivals when it comes to any sort of title challenge. Um, so we'll start off and Dave, you spoke to somebody from a Chelsea perspective. So I'm joined by Jake Stokes um, from Football London. 
Um, thanks for coming on, Jay. I'm going to ask a simple question to start off with, really. Um, why is it that Chelsea can win the league this year? Yeah, so I think uh, Chelsea will have a good chance at winning the league this season, mainly because Tuchel have had enough time um, in pre-season to fully implement his play style. Um, when he first came in, obviously, we saw the back three um, implemented straight away, which Chelsea did use um, previously under Lampard, but Chelsea just looked to have a bit more of a buzz about them under Tuchel when he arrived. And seeing Chelsea in pre-season, the press looks a lot more organised. Um, and it's definitely something that I've noticed watching them in pre-season. Um, and should we sign Lukaku, who looks to be imminent, um, and then even Kunde as well into that back three, I think it'll be a nice balance. Um, and then partnered with Tuchel's um, tactics that he's had re a real good time um, implementing, I, I think that they're going to have a, a good chance. Yeah, and obviously we shouldn't forget that, you know, last summer there was, you know, quite a few headline signings. So it's already a, a very good squad, obviously a Champions League winning squad that he's working with even before any additions. Like at the time of, of recording it, the only signing that's actually been confirmed, I think, is is Bettinelli. So obviously not really a, a headline one, but like Lukaku looks like um, it'll be happening. Let's like briefly explore that a little bit more that possible sign and how much of a of a game changer do you think it would be because it seemed that last season the persistent issue was kind of the lack of a clinical forward obviously Werner's uh, struggles were very well publicized yeah I think I think it's definitely something that Chelsea did need to, to work on this summer whether it be getting in a big money big money signing in uh, either obviously Haaland initially and then Lukaku I think Lukaku's being overlooked a lot by a lot of fans purely because Chelsea were originally linked with Haaland. Um, but I think Haaland's got everything that historically has provided and, and laid foundations to a successful strike. If you look at Diego Costa, Didier Drogba in the past, both meaty, physical, almost like target men, but they can also get in behind as well. And I think that all-round physical presence up top is what is what Chelsea need. Obviously, we saw Werner um, last season. Aside from his uh, sort of woes in front of goal, he when we were putting in lots of crosses, he just wasn't that sort of man. And he to the end of the season, we saw him get pushed out to the left and Havertz leaded line because of that that height that Chelsea typically need for a striker. And assuming then that that day does get over the line, and it looks like you know, all signs are pointing to it being done. Do you think that there's any other weaknesses that are kind of left over at that point? Because, you know, especially if, if Koundé arrives, it looks like, you know, it's a pretty complete setup that you'd have. Mm. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to think that it, it is complete, but there's always that, that loom of uncertainty. I think at Chelsea, you always think that sometimes it could be too good to be true. Um, and watching the, the game last night, uh, Chelsea Spurs, I know there was a lot of changes and it disrupted the flow, but we sort of, we had gone too not. We looked like we had a sort of hop in us in our, in our, in our step and we looked to sort of add more goals, but we sort of, after a few mistakes, it just went really flat and, and I, I'm, I'm not worried, but there's always something at the back of my mind that thinks I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I don't want to sort of buy into it too much. I don't want to, 
invest too much in it just in case, you know. But I think I think it's got the foundations to, to really compete for the title this season. Absolutely, Aaron. You're probably right to be cautious just because of the you know the level of competition. Um, and obviously, this being a Liverpool podcast, I'm gonna you know get your get your view of Liverpool. Obviously, um, last season I think we ended up we somehow ended up finishing finishing above you last season in spite of everything. Um, I think that was just because of obviously the defeat on the final day, which didn't really matter too much in the end. But obviously, Liverpool going from reigning champions with injury crisis, a bit a bit of a collapse, you know, falling out of the equation. How much are you fearful of Liverpool in this title race? Do you worry about them as much as you used to? Fairly, fairly. I mean, from a from my point of view and, and as a Chelsea fan, I've seen Liverpool be consistent over the uh, over the over a whole season. Obviously that title winning season, that Champions League winning season, you were consistent at picking up results even if you were on having an off day. Um, and that's something that I want Chelsea to to have this season. Um, in terms of ahead of this season, I think Liverpool are a, are a big threat for the league. Um, obviously, there's the other obvious points is you've got Van Dijk back, you've got Gomez back, you've got Canate as well that's come in. Um, but a massive thing that I think that will play a part in Liverpool season is that you've been there and you've done that already. Obviously, you've lost one out of but the core of your team will have been there when you won the league, been there when you won the Champions League. And with your best player, arguably, back in Van Dyke, or most influential player back in Van Dyke, I think that sets you up really nicely. Um, and Mane, obviously, didn't have the best of seasons last season, um, but Salah was still firing. So I think, with should Mane get back up to his standards, should Salah continue to form at the highest level if not beyond that I think Liverpool could be a massive threat yeah and I think what you said about the squad's experience of of winning is is a very valid point because you know as fans we do kind of want to see the evolution and the, the makeup of the team changing but it you know on the opposite side of that it can be quite valuable with that experience as you say um but just to finish off then I'm gonna get some predictions from you Fantastic. So for my for my top four, um, I, at the moment I'd like I would put. I think I'd still put City at the top. I think I'd put Liverpool second, Chelsea third, and United fourth. Purely on the fact that, like I mentioned earlier, Liverpool have that they have the ability to be success, uh, consistently fantastic throughout the whole league. Whereas I think Chelsea and United have could have a little blip, which could cost them. Just confirm. So you think that if Chelsea, even if Chelsea sign Lukaku, you think that Liverpool will still be able to to finish above them, and Chelsea will only come third? I think so. I think so. I mean, I think I think it's easy to get ahead of myself. I, th- I think it'll be very close. Um, but there's also a part of me that's thinking that we will go through a little blip in the season, whether it's going to be at the start, middle or the end. I think it'll be typical Chelsea to have, like I said, that little blip where we do miss out on a few critical points. Um, And I'm just worried that with Van Dijk coming back and Mane won't, I'm sure Mane won't 
have the season he had last season. I'm sure he'll he'll um, definitely step up, and I'm just, I'm I'm just a bit worried about that from a from a Chelsea point of view. All right, okay. Um, oh, well, that's obviously kind of music to my ears, but you're definitely right that it's going to be uh, very close over the course of the season, and Liverpool's kind of capacity to to grind wins out is obviously going to be an asset if they can if they can sort of regain that um, having lost it a little bit last season. But yeah, that's all um, that we kind of really needed to cover. So thanks very much again, Jake. Um, I'll put your uh, Twitter in the episode description if anybody wants to go and. Uh, and give you a follow on there. And to get a city perspective, I'm joined by freelance writer Steve Tudor. Um, first and foremost, Steve, thanks for jumping on. Um, and how much are you looking forward to the uh, Premier League season? It's a pleasure, mate. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, I would have thought that I could have done with a break from football after the Euros, <laughs> but just a couple of weeks without it and I'm missing it already. And, and it's strange to think that, you know, this Saturday is the Community Shield and we're yeah. off again. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I think a lot of people, then if you're on the same boat, are looking forward to it even more so after seeing fans back at the Euros. I know that was a big thing for mm. me. Um, even like the Hungry Games, which are full houses, I thought it was just 10 times better football with, with, with full capacity. But we will crack on um, into the main reason we got you here. So... It is to talk about the uh, Premier League title holders, uh, Manchester City, mm-hmm. and obviously what's to come. Um, so I'll start off with a general, a general question on City, um, and I suppose your main reasons to be confident about the uh, upcoming season. Um, I think we saw last season that we'd finally addressed our defensive issues. Yeah. And it was always going to be the case where if we did so whilst retaining the kind of, you know, the... The attacking style and adventure that, that, that come, they're so synonymous under Pep Guardiola, mm-hmm. then would be some force to be reckoned with. Um, last year, it was 52% of our overall games we kept clean sheets in, which mm-hmm. is just a phenomenal record. And um, losing Sergio Aguero for the most part, um, that was more than kind of compensated by this kind of false nine kind of strategy that Pep installed. Yeah. And um, it was so fluid and, and you know, basically a player could come in, go out, come in, go out and play on the right or the left. And, and it seemed to work every time. So that gives me a great deal of confidence because at the moment, technically, we don't have a centre forward. I, no. I know Gab- Gabby Jesus is a centre forward by trade, but predominantly he plays more coming off, off a left. And that's certainly his better position, I believe. So, yeah, we don't have a centre forward. So um, unless Harry Kane comes... Mm. Um, it will be back to the false nine, but I, I'm more than happy with that because we saw last year that, you know, my only slight concern is maybe teams might start sussing that out, which is obviously always a, a risk. But if they don't, then, you know, I, I would never expect more of the same. I'm a City fan. You know, I went when we were shit. So <laughs> I, there's always that doubt. And I never, ever take anything for granted. Uh, just living in this dreamland with them at the moment. But... There is a chance of more of the same, so that in itself is is reason enough to, I don't know, a, a, little, a little bit of confidence of sorts, I guess. Yeah, one hundred percent. I know if I was a City fan, um, given the season you just had, and potentially what's to come in the transfer market, I think you've got every reason to be to be highly optimistic. Um, yeah. And on that, you mentioned players coming in. You mentioned Harry Kane. Today, it looks like you've pretty much shown up the Grealish deal. And I've seen your tweet earlier, um, essentially mm-hmm. saying that, you know, champions strengthen when they're on top, which is something yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with. United did it for years. It's something Liverpool 
haven't done. Um, but that's kind of due to our own spending model, if you like, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so on signings, I quickly talk about the Grealish deal, what he might offer, um, and I suppose what else you'd like to see come in. Well, Pep said, or well, at least it's kind of been leaked, I guess, to, to people that um, Pep sees him as a number eight, and that's really fascinating mm. because you'll basically rotate with Gundogan um, in, a, in a slightly deeper role than what we used to see in Grealish play at Villa. Yeah. Um, I can very much imagine him adapting to that role and excelling in that role. But again, there's a slight concern in that, are you kind of taking away, you know, so many of his kind of benefits, really, that his strengths, what he does best, which is, you know, you look at his stats and, and he does so many carries. He just drives the ball into the box and, and commits players. And, and that's why he's the most foul player in the Premier League. So mm-hmm. if you take that aspect away from his game, uh, and having more in a more kind of sitting role of a type, then I don't know if there's pros and cons to that. Um, the likelihood is that Bernardo Silva will is leaving. Um, yeah. He stated that he'd like to leave. So in, in effect, it's kind of like for like, um, because, you know, Bernardo Silva could also play in that deeper role as well, played some from midfield against you know, Liverpool on a couple of occasions. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'd be really fascinating. And as a player... I just love watching Jack Grealish. I've, I've really enjoyed watching Villa the last couple of years because of him predominantly. So um, it's an absolute treat to get him. I mean, it's a thrill, frankly. And mm. um, with regards to Harry Kane, as I said earlier, we don't have a centre forward. Uh, he's the best centre forward around. And if we get him, it would be incredible. My concern is, you know, I'm very much an old school City fan and it does bother me when people just dismiss City as being like a spending club. Of mm. course, we've got where we are from spending, yeah. no denying that whatsoever, but we've always been a kind of 60 million mark, yeah. you know, once yeah. a season, 60 million pound player. If we start spending 130 million, then are we going into that kind of Real Madrid, Galactico kind of stratosphere and will people just think we're on cheat mode? Um, mm. That's only a, a worry to an extent because, you know, I still have the pleasure of seeing my team play with Harry Kane in it. But, mm. um, yeah, I would much rather we had gone down a different route, perhaps, um, and just kept within a, a realistic spending limit. Yeah, well, City have gone down a different route in the past. Like, I know Pep yeah. has been quite adamant in that you don't spend upwards of sort of 60 million. And the players you do tend to buy are relative unknowns. If you look at Ruben Diaz, not many people would have looked at him. You might have looked at like a Varane instead, you know what I mean? Mm. It's sort of a well-known name to come in at centre-back to replace company. So he's been right in a lot of sense, but you are right in that it's going to be a difficult sell when he plays the poverty act moving forward. Oh, yes, exactly. if you do, Yeah, if you do yeah. buy Harry Kane and Jack Grealish in the same window, that is a, that is a bit far-fetched then. I've just well, seen... especially in this, in this climate as well, mate, you know, in the pandemic yeah. and, and the way that lower league clubs are struggling so horrendously, then, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't like to hear Pep uh, say anything of a like that he did mm. last season. Um, well, you know, he was legitimate to an extent when he said last season, but yeah. certainly, certainly not if you're going to spend £230 million on two players. No, and I've just seen um, Danny Ings has signed for Aston Villa out the blue. And mm. um, he's a player I thought City might have gone for had Kane have failed, if I'm honest. But on that, so I suppose we've kind of touched on the centre-forward issue. Um, would you class that as City's main weakness for the coming season? I th- Well, yeah, I think so. Um, I would have said left-back about six months ago, but then Zinchenko was superb for the last half of the, of the season. Yeah. Uh, if he carries that on, then we're set at left-back. 
Um, there's not a great deal in reserve. We could you know, move over Nathan Ake. Um, Benjamin Mendy is a farce of a footballer. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Oh, yes. I mean, there's talk among City fans at the moment. One of the, one of the main narratives among City fans is, you know, um, oh, Mendy, he could, he could really revive himself this season. He's looked great in, in friendlies, but how many times have we seen this with players, you know, in friendlies when they, they played great against Peterborough or, you know, Barnsley? And it's it's no real great indicator, is it? So mm. I, I, I can't trust that, that, that lad, to be honest. So um, he's always got a mistake in him. But yeah, like I said, Zinchenko has done well. So yeah, I, I guess it is that lack of a number nine because when you're going through a 60-game season and it's so many different types of challenges, mm. um, you know, so one, you know, on a Wednesday, you could be, you could have a huge quarterfinal Champions League game away at PSG. Uh, and then, you know, you could be kind of have a difficult home game in the league on the Saturday. Mm. Amongst all of those, at some point, you're going to need that kind of predator, aren't you? Yeah. And, and we saw that last year. We, we, we navigated it through scoring so many goals, frankly, but we mm. still spurned a hell of a lot of chances from close range, yeah. um, which Aguero would have just snapped up. So, you know, Kane would feast on those. Yeah, he certainly would. And, I, you know, you mentioned Aguero there. He kind of did. I know he only came in sort of late in the season after mm. he recovered, and it was his swan song almost. But even then, he proved, you know, the way City play, that predatory instinct, like you mentioned in the box, he, they will score goals. And it's something Liverpool have lacked in Firmino. For everything he does brilliantly yeah. for the side, he's not a, a natural goal scorer. And it's something that I think we need to address as well, if I'm brutally honest. Um, so on Liverpool, um, and I suppose on the other protagonists more generally. Um, how much do you fear Liverpool? Because obviously down the past few seasons, Liverpool have been the main challenges to City's dominance, if mm. you like. Um, and also, if it's not Liverpool, and I kind of know what you're going to say from the conversation we had before, <laughs> but I also, also want to touch upon it because I'm going to say Chelsea are the team that have caused City the most problems in the very recent history. So who do you fear most out of those? I definitely fear in Chelsea more than Liverpool this season. And that's not really a reflection on Liverpool. It's, you know, as we said off air, I, I'm actually tipping Chelsea to win the league this year. Yeah. I, I think if, you know, what we've seen under Thomas Tuchel is, is, is incredible, the turnaround. And if that continues and if they bring in Lukaku, if they yeah. do break that £100 million barrier, then they are a complete setup potentially. So if they get it all right, and we've seen it before with a season under Conte, etc. When Chelsea get it right, they are just unbeatable and they've got everything there at their disposal. They've just got the, the, the right balance of experience and youth and, and talent right throughout the squad. Um, they beat us three times last season under Tuchel. Mm. That's no coincidence. Um, I can very much imagine him becoming a thorn in Pep's side like Klopp was for so many yeah. seasons. Um, so there is a chance that, that Chelsea could be the ones to beat this year. Uh, as regards to Liverpool, I mean, my God, I'm never going to not fear them. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? Mm. It's, it's particularly the Jurgen Klopp and the track record of Liverpool against City in recent yeah. years. So, you know, I'm never, ever going to get to the stage of going to Anfield thinking, you know what, I, I think we're going to win today. <laughs> um, if we ever do so, like we did last season, it's yeah. an incredible surprise. So, yeah, I fancy Liverpool to do well this year. But if, in all honesty, I can't see past Chelsea and City you know, in, in a two-horse race, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. That's absolutely fair enough. Um, I am going to get your opinion on 
another football club that you probably loathe to talk about. <laughs> um, but Manchester United, obviously, if you look at their squad and their signings, you'd think that's a squad fit to certainly challenge for the league. So where do you see them in all of this title race scenario? And if they're not going to be in it, why not? They needed three players this, this summer for me to be real title contenders. Um, they've got Varane, they've got Sancho, exactly the, the, the right players for them. Yeah. They still need a midfielder. For me personally, mm-hmm. I, I know you know some United fans kind of rate their McFred partnership in midfield. <laughs> it's that's not going to win them the league. You know, it'll get them results and it'll do them well, but it's mm-hmm. over the course of a season, it's not going to win them the league. Um, so they need that top-class midfielder, which Paul Pogba potentially is, but yeah. will probably be potentially a world-class player until the day he retires, <laughs> um, particularly if he stays in Manchester. It's just not worked for him there. No. So they need to bring in that player um, to take some of that kind of weight off Fernandez, And they haven't gotten so far, and I'd be really, really concerned if they did. You know, if I woke up tomorrow and they've signed one of the many players, even kind of Neves at, at Wolves is yeah. being linked with him. I, I think he'll vastly improve him because not so much in the quality. I mean, of course, he's a, a very good footballer, but I wouldn't put him right on the top level of, of kind of in terms of quality. But the type of player he is, it's yeah. exactly who United needs. So until they get someone like him, um, I think it's maybe top three. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I still don't rate Solskjaer. No. I think he's the right man for them to this point. But I don't think he's a finisher. I don't think he can kind of fit, you know, close the project off with, with success. Um, you know, ideally for, if for a United fan, he hands it over at some point this season, but obviously he's not going to do that. Uh, he's just signed extensions to his contracts, which is great news because I just don't rate him really. No, I, I couldn't agree more to honest with you. It's something I've discussed previously um, it, quite in detail, to be honest. I think he was a great manager for what they needed at the time. That You know, he's yeah. a, it was all a bit rocky. It was all a bit of a mess there by the looks of it. And it's, we've had similar situations with Kenny Dalglish coming in in the past and gives you that mm. feel-good factor, gives you that boost. But at some point, you need a top-class manager to come in. Um, like Brendan Rodgers came in and replaced Dalglish. Um, and I think United need to do that, but it doesn't look like they're going to. Um, and I think the squad they've got, the squad they've got is capable of challenging for the Premier League, in my opinion. I know they had the flirty with it last year, but they never were serious challenges. Mm. But if you look at the three managers that he's going up against, Guardiola, Klopp and Tuchel, he's yeah. out of his depth. Yeah. He's just out of his depth. And he might well prove me wrong and a lot of people wrong and go on to become a great manager. But right now, they're three of the best managers in the world, in my opinion. And he's not going to overcome them. No, uh, and the odd thing is, is, you know, he'll... He's out for kind of Pep on several occasions. Yeah. You know, he, he's kind of um, outwitted him on, on occasions. Um, so, it, you know, in Derby games, mm. they were a threat against City, but throughout the course of the season... That's it, yeah, it's different. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a different level. You need that elite, you know, coach. And then, you know, Klopp, like you say, Tuchel, Guardiola, they're the three best around. So, um, yeah, that'll be United's undoing, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> on that note, we will just finish off. Um, and we'll get your prediction for the top four. Um, this one, as you've already alluded to, is going to surprise a lot of people, but hmm. give it us in full. I think, I generally think it's going to be a real tussle this year between City and Chelsea. I'll put Chelsea top, but only slightly by a couple of points. I think it could go right to the wire. I think then there could be, a, um, you know, a, something like an eight-point gap between third 
uh, second and third, sorry, and I think Liverpool third and United second. I think between, sorry, um, United fourth, I think between the two of you guys, that's going to be a close tussle as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, I've obviously got aspirations of us doing better, but I'd mm. like to see a couple of signings before the end of the window, if that's going to be the case, um, if I'm brutally honest. Um, I will just ask one more question before you go, because something that's always intrigued me with City fans, given the fact you've had domestic success now, and you got really close to Champions League last summer. You know what's coming. Would you take Champions League over the Premier League next season? Nah, never, mate. Never. Honestly, when a couple of years ago, when Liverpool obviously won the league and you were getting ever closer to that line and the nerves were kicking in with, yeah. with, amongst the Reds, I got so many DMs from Liverpool mates saying, look, I tell you what, right, you have a Champions League this year, just give, give us the league, we'll do a deal, just, you know, messing around. <laughs> and every time it's like, you don't get it, lads. I've got no interest in the Champions League. If we win it, great. But in the same way as winning the FA Cup's great. Yeah, you know, no, I get that. It, it's, yeah. it's always a league. I mean, growing up as a City fan, it's unimaginable to win the league. Absolutely mm. unimaginable. Um, and to do that, uh, you know, in any season, is just incredible and it remains the case. Um, and it's Champions League. There is still that thing with UEFA and yeah. City, obviously. So um, don't get me wrong. If we'd won against Chelsea, that would have been a, an amazing night and mm. I would have been very proud. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't compare to the league for me. Well, that's a good way to end a uh, Premier League preview anyway. Um, <laughs> but no, really appreciate that, Steve. Um, Pleasure, yeah, Really good insight. And uh, let's see if that bold prediction comes true at the end of the season. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, buddy. So we're going to discuss Manchester United now. Um, the the fourth and, and final team really and I'm joined by James Ridge for this he's the host of the One United podcast let's start with um, the reasons to be confident about Man United's ability to mount a title challenge because obviously so far you've had really a bit of a dream transfer window yeah yeah well thanks for having me on to start with um, that, that's probably the big reason to be optimistic I think the transfer window alone, I think it'd be hard to find another team this window that will have a better list of incomings than we have in terms of quality. Uh, it all just depends on how we bed them into the team. Obviously, neither player is in training at the minute. I think Varane's only travelling to Manchester today as we record, so he there's no chance he'll be involved against Leeds. But yeah, it's just it's integrating those players. You know, with with a lot of quality comes a lot of ego, and obviously that's going to be tough for. Ollie to manage, you know, he's, he's built a reputation as a man manager. So I suppose this is really the time to the time to prove it. But yeah, other, other than that, this is a squad that finished second last year. It didn't need too much of an improvement, which is why I'm happy we haven't gone and sort of signed a load of players just scattered because that really would be sort of disruptive. But, you know, maybe a couple more signings and we, and we might be, well, one signing probably. And we might be able to mount a challenge, title challenge. But it's, it's just good to see the club being proactive more than anything. Yeah, and we'll come on to the potential need for another sign in, in a minute. But just to kind of pick up on Varane and Sancho, do you think now that your your squad is essentially just as good as that of you know Liverpool, Chelsea and City? Chelsea, definitely. I'd, I'd say we're, we're probably a match for them. I get they won the Champions League, but, you know, um, I... I I think player for player, we're probably as good. I think the thing we lack is depth. Obviously, I know Liverpool themselves will have that same problem. I, I, just, I don't think 
man for man, we have the same quality as Liverpool and, and City. You obviously have to factor in the manager as well and how he uses those players. I don't think Ollie's up to the level of your managers. I don't think that's too controversial to say either. So, providing you don't have sort of a drastic drop-off like you did this season, I can see it still being a two-horse race between you and City, especially given City's recent incomings. But talent-wise, it's, it is probably the third best squad in the league. And I think we saw last season there was a, a big hole on the right-hand side. Too much was being asked of a 19-year-old striker to play right wing, and he still did well. So Sancho obviously fixes that. And then we, I imagine you've seen firsthand how mistake-prone Lindelof can be. He's obviously not got the physicality that we probably need. So Sancho corrects that as well. He compliments Maguire very well as well, who's really coming into his own recently. So, yeah, I think it's good that we've gone out and targeted our weaknesses, improved in those areas. And we're definitely looking a lot healthier than we did this time a year ago. So to take the squad from sort of third best, as you say it is now, to being on a par with City and Liverpool, do you think all that's required is a top-level kind of central defensive midfielder type? And would that kind of make it a complete transfer window, you think, if you were able to bring one of those players in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's only a small list of players you can bring in as well because, you know, you, you need someone of that upper echelon of quality, don't you, to really make a difference. I think Fred does a job. McTominay, I don't see as a, as a solitary holding midfielder, but it's going to need to be a big improvement on Fred. And there's not many players out there, given the, the COVID market as well, there's not many players out there that will improve the squad to that level and are realistically affordable in this market. So I think, you know, we go back to man for man. I think with the defensive midfielder in there, Talent-wise, it is probably on a par with your squads, give it with your squad and the City squad. I just think the, the thing that will set both United and Liverpool apart from City is the lack of depth. I think City have two teams that can finish top four easily, and realistically, there's no other team in Europe that that can do that. So, while City still have all this quality and abundance, I, I'll I'll be very surprised if either of us managed to get the title off them. Yeah, I think you're bang on about the depth, and it's probably the main concern that I have certainly from a Liverpool standpoint of like you know I think our first 11 can go toe to toe with anyone but it's like you know over a whole season it isn't necessarily just your first 11 that wins you a title but let's you know you've mentioned it already but let's talk about some possible concerns that you might have with United obviously you point out that you finished second last season um I guess I'll make this kind of a two-part question. So the first is how much do you think that second place last season was kind of reflective of United's real quality? Um, Obviously, you know, with what happened to Liverpool. And the second part of the question is, what are your kind of thoughts on on Solskjaer? And, you know, you suggested that he maybe can't compete with Pep Klopp and, and Tuchel, but do you think that, you know, he is kind of of the level required to take this squad to the trophies that, you know, on paper it should be able to achieve. Yeah, well, for the first part of your question, I think, you know, the the, the, the saying is you you play, everyone plays the same teams, don't they? Everyone, you can only play what's in front of you, etc. But I think obviously Chelsea having Frank Lampard for the first six months of the season obviously did not help them at all. I think they were in about 10th when he was sacked. And obviously Liverpool having the, the injury crisis they did sort of the, the self-implosion that they went through helped a lot as well. But, 
you know, I think we finished on 74 points, which is a, a big improvement on the season before where we finished with with 66. So this progression there, I suppose we were across the whole season, good value for second, I think performance wise. I think we that season we were the second best team in the league, but this is why this window has been so important because we can't just look at that and sort of rest on our laurels because like you said, Liverpool will be back. Chelsea are revitalised under Tuchel as well. Um, so getting second again this season is going to be a lot, lot harder and, and we'll probably garner a lot more credit for Oli as well. But moving on to Oli, I think I, I there's a, a, a split pretty much 50-50 down the United fan base about Oli, are you Oli in or Oli out? I'm very firmly Oli in. Now, I personally, I'd be very surprised if we win a Premier League under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, but what he has done is taken this club from probably the lowest point it's been since before Fergie came in in terms of where the club was at, where it was heading. You know, that, that final couple of months under Mourinho was abysmal, really, from top to bottom, on the pitch and off the pitch. So what Oli's done, he's, he's come in, he's stabilised, first of all, which is most important. He's kept Pogba on board, which has been a big reason why we got second. I thought when he was fit, he was incredible last season. Um, he's obviously made the smart signings. There's not many smart, there's not many signings that Oli's made that haven't come to fruition and that, that haven't been successful. So he, need, he deserves credit for that. And he's constantly, he's consistently improved. You know, he's got fourth place finish, third place finish and a third place finish, a second place finish, sorry. So that, that constant improvement is encouraging as well. But what I have said previously, once that, that, well, that improvement that he's showing constantly is what's keeping him in a job. You know, as long as he keeps improving, there's realistically no limit on where he can go. But once that improvement stops, then I think you have to look at other managers and think who has that quality to lead us to the title because there's no manager in the world who competes with Klopp and Pep in terms of ability. These are two of the all-time greats already and they're nowhere near retirement. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with Ole in charge. I think he's capable of winning us at least one trophy this season. But whether it'll be the Premier League or the Champions League, like you know, like United fans want, I'm really not sure. You know, I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong. He's, he's a fan favourite. He's obviously a, an ex-player and everyone wants him to do well. But yeah, I, I I personally don't see how he wins the Premier League, given that he's he doesn't show his tactical flexibility. He doesn't quite get substitution spot on in terms of timing and personnel. So I think there's big errors in his in his style and in his approach to management. But obviously, he is a young manager, which so they can improve. But yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with Ollie at the minute. But I think in this time in three years, if we've sort of stagnated a bit, then it's time to sort of think who else can we bring in. And that's a very balanced outlook on on it, really. And you know, you mentioned the the progress that's been made. I guess it just becomes more and more difficult to make each step. And obviously, this one for, for silverware, we've seen United fall a couple of times in the semi-finals, and obviously. The Europa League final as well. This this is the hardest step to make. I'm going to get your prediction in a second, but um, I just want to talk about the points tally first of all because you, you talked about um, United's improvement last season on that score. What kind of points tally do you think is is going to be needed this season to win the league? Because obviously we've got four very high quality teams. Really, we've had you know. There was a spell where it was 100 points, 98, 99 to win the league. Um, obviously, last season that, that dipped a little bit, but what kind of number 
do you think it's going to be this season? Is that a number United can realistically be be looking at? I mean, City won the league last season, didn't they, with, what, 86 points? And that was, from their so, point yeah. of view, probably, that was a pretty bad season from them performance-wise. Um, and obviously, they've improved. So I think we are looking at 90-plus at least. You know, if, if Pep can integrate Grealish and, and maybe even Kane into this squad properly, then I don't see how, where City drop points at all. So, you know, we're looking at 95 points to be competitive, I think. And, you know, as good a transfer as Sancho and Varane are, I think this will be a big year for them adjustment-wise. You know, they're coming in from different leagues with different play styles. We've seen, you know, with, with Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, it takes them quite a while to get going after coming over from the Bundesliga. So, you know, that, that'll be interesting to see with Sancho. But I think we're probably on course for maybe an 80-point season. I think that that stays true to the sort of consistent improvement we're making. You get from six, 66 to 74, I think the next step would probably be 80. So less than that, and you'd be quite concerned. But, yeah, with the points tally that will be needed next season, especially given Liverpool's quality as well that we've seen, it, I'm not that that's that's where my lack of confidence comes from for the title because I just don't see how these two players get us an extra 20 points. Yeah, and I think 80 is, is kind of a as you say like a minimum target and let's then kind of put that in into perspective by predicting how the top four is going to line up. Obviously it's tricky it's still you know a week before the season starts even longer before the end of the transfer window so if you kind of factor maybe realistic signings for each of the clubs into your think, how would you say the the four will end up in terms of like the finishing order? Um, I think City will run away with it again. I don't see how they don't. You know, they were on an upward trend at the end of last season as well. I think they'll carry that on, obviously, with Grealish coming in. So I think they'll win this league by quite a considerable distance. I think Liverpool, given the fact that they're not looking likely to recruit, I think... Van Dijk's obviously coming back from a massive injury, so he'll still be the best defender in the league, don't get me wrong, but will he be back to his absolute best? I think your two main attackers as well in, in Mane and Salah are a year older, a year closer to 30, if not already hitting it, so that might play a little bit of a detriment to you, obviously not too much, but I, I, might, I imagine it's going to be quite tight between ourselves, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea, so I'd imagine you know, City clearly first, and then I think Liverpool... United, Chelsea make up the rest of the top three, uh, the, the rest of the top four, sorry. And I think they'll probably only be sort of five points between the three teams. Wow. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't uh, pan out like that. But, you know, I can see certainly why you think that would be some of the transfers that would be a move for City. But thanks very much for uh, for coming on today. Um, it's also worth pointing out that, as well as the United podcast I mentioned earlier, you. Um, host the uh, PSG Unrestricted podcast as well. So obviously, you know, I'll pop a link for that podcast into the episode description. Um, people can go and check that out. But yeah, thanks very much, James. Cheers for having me on, mate. Thank you. So we've had the perspectives of um, Liverpool's main rivals and uh, some really good in-depth sort of way of looking at the season ahead. Um, and now we're just going to cast our own judgment, if you like, on those three clubs um, ahead of a more in-depth Liverpool episode next week. Um, so, Dave, I'll come straight back to you. Um, really good chats there with, with those two from Chelsea and United. Um, so, we will do Chelsea first. 
How do you see the threat from Chelsea? Obviously, they finished off last season really strongly under Thomas Tuchel. Um, are they probably the biggest challengers to Man City, would you say? Very difficult question. What I previously said about Chelsea and what struck me watching them at the tail end of last season was just how well coached they were. Um, you know, Tuchel is the biggest threat to the Klopp, Guardiola, Duopoly, really. Um, I think in terms of his level of coaching coaching ability. Um, yeah, I mean, whether they're the biggest threat, I think clearly the key weakness in the team is um, the number nine position um, and the amount of opportunities that they waste. It's obviously huge whether they can get a deal done for Lukaku. Um, the noises are that they'll essentially go to whatever length it takes to do that deal. Um, and... You know, obviously having missed out on Haaland in the sense that he was probably just a bit too expensive this summer. They've decided they still need to address that position and Lukaku looks to be the one that they're fixed on getting in. And he, I've read today, looks like he'll actually be open to the move, having previously said that he wanted to stay at Inter um, or at least still accept the move. So I think Chelsea with Lukaku um, and with Koundé potentially arriving as well um, in defence, I'd look at that as a pretty complete setup overall. Um, in terms of, I don't see any glaring weaknesses there. As in terms of, you know, can they win the title? What What do you reckon? I suppose the reason I sort of build them as the main threat is just because of how they ended last season, especially continuously getting one over City. Like you mentioned, you know, Champions Europe. There, they seem to really. Um, have the wool on City, like I say, they seem to really be able to conquer them. Um, and not many teams can do that. Whether they can sustain that for a, a new 38-game Premier League season is a different story. It'd be an interesting one from them. I still have my reservations of whether they will and can put it together for the whole season. Yeah. I think there's a honeymoon period aspect to the Tuchel reign. Um, and whether that goes on, it'll be interesting to see. Possibly. So one of the last thing, last thing on Chelsea is we played them third game, is it? Yeah, um, very early. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying that's the first meeting of the the teams that we've kind of discussed today. So that'll be a, yeah. an interesting barometer. Like obviously, at Anfield, um, you know, if they were to come to Anfield and win, I think everyone's going to certainly sit up and take notice. And I know they did that last year in very impressive fashion, but, you know, it's a completely different scenario with not only a a fully fit or near fully fit Liverpool team, but obviously a, a pretty much full crowd as well. Yeah, I was going to mention the crowd. I think it's a half five kickoff, um, which will be the first one since we've been back. So, yeah, it should be a different sort of contest altogether, really, for Chelsea. We'd hope because they were much better last season. I'm feeling no doubt about that. And um, we'll move on to City now. Um, uh, the angle I covered this week for us um, certainly. Um, with the addition of Grealish, which is pretty much over the line today by looks of it, and potentially Kane to follow. Um, they are two serious signings for what was already a very, very dominant, in many ways, football team last season. Um, I think it was kind of skewed by the fact that Liverpool weren't really in the race for reasons out of our control, but City were by far the best team in the Premier League, certainly last year. So, what do you expect from, I suppose, from Grealish? We'll, we'll touch into that. But what do you expect from City more generally this season again? 
I mean, first of all, I'm sort of sitting here concerned that by the time this gets released, the transfers that we're talking about will have there will have been huge developments. Um, but you know, I think the gist of it will will be the same. And yeah, with Grealish, I think you know I rate him massively. You know, I think Jamie Carragher compared him to to Hazard at the start of last season in terms of the level he was performing at. And at the time, I was a little bit sceptical, but as the season went on, kind of became more and more convinced by by that assessment. And what City will have now with those two players is, you know, arguably the two most prolific creators in the Premier League. So just the volume of chances that they're going to have. And also, I think, you know, the, the dominance in, with it in certain games is going to increase even further, um, which is kind of hard to imagine, really. Um, you know, people will say Grealish isn't worth 100 million. I think he is. I think that what he's done in, a, in the Aston Villa team um, merits it. And people, I think a lot of people assume that when the player's English, he's always going to get sold for more than he should be. But I think, yeah. I think he's a 100 million player, to be honest. But having said that, you know, the Kane deal is by is far from a certainty. I don't think there's a weakness that Grealish addresses. Like he's an upgrade on the options that they have, but I don't think he improves them drastically. Whereas, I mean, even if they had signed Kane and not Grealish, that's a pretty terrifying proposition. The fact that they might yeah, have yeah. both in the same team. Like, put it this way: if Man City sign both of those players and don't win the league. Obviously, serious questions will be asked of Pep, but mm-hmm. it would also have to be considered one of probably the great coaching achievements of the Premier League era to start deny them winning the title. And obviously, there's some incredible players and a lot of money at the other teams. Yeah, but to deny deny those players um, the title to get more points than them over the course of a 38 game season would be a pretty monumental achievement. I think because it's just completely. <laughs> Ridiculous, um, and it's it's scary, which is why I'm trying to talk myself into the possibility of Kane staying. Yeah, I get that, and you know there is definitely a possibility Kane does stay. Certainly, if you look at Tottenham's previous track record with, you know, setting the price and that being it, and not really being willing to budge, um, and whether City do go two hundred fifty million all in for the position Kane remains to be seen. Um, it would be some statement in many ways if they did. Um, I, I think they'll definitely dominate more games if they were to sign, you know, one, both of them, whatever it may be. But I can't see a lot changing in terms of, you know, they beat the lesser teams quite comfortably in the league most of the time anyway because they simply can't get the ball off them. Um, it's still the big games that make me confident because I'm not sure they're still to be untouchable when it comes to Ampage, whatever it may be. There's still points there for them to drop. I'm almost certain of it. So, frightening proposition, 100%. But I'm not sure it means they're out of sight, like a lot of people seem to be suggesting. Um, Another thing I'll say, you kind of mentioned their um, plethora of talent and the the, the numbers of players they've got for each position. I can kind of foresee a problem there, in a way, because Pep Guardiola has always been lauded for his ability to rotate the players and keep them all happy, et cetera, et cetera. But that's kind of been on the wane for a little bit, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not sure he will be able to keep all his attacking midfielders in particular. 
happy for too much longer. So they might lose a couple of them this summer. And if they don't, then maybe there'll be problems further down the line. And think of the likes of Bernardo Silva, you know, Raheem Sterling was left out for long periods last season. Um, and he enjoyed a decent Euro. So is he going to be happy? You know, not really featuring now Grealish has come in. Um, Phil Foden's another one, in my opinion. Probably the pick of them, probably better than Grealish, in my opinion, if I'm honest. Um, but is he going to start every game with all these players they've got? So they might create their own problems is all I'm kind of getting at, City. And I am kind of hoping, like you are. I have to have a word with you. I've heard about that Foden claim. Um, <laughs> but um, I think you're optimistic. Um, you know, they might lose those players and it does seem like the policy of constant rotation is almost, you know, for years it seemed like it's just a blessing, but we are maybe starting to see one or two slight cracks emerge in that in terms of players, you know, having their heads turned, thinking, you know, I deserve to be playing every week. But whether if they sign the players that they're linked with, you know, I think it's an upgrade. Um, on all accounts so it would just be a case of keeping them fit and you know all three players had had injuries last season injuries are going to play a pretty significant part in in this title race obviously we can't predict that at all so but we know that that will be the case so yeah I don't think I don't see that as necessarily a huge issue for City Um, it's not a it's not a bulletproof team uh, by any means but I do think it would be Certainly in terms of the firepower, one of the most daunting opponents that you can kind of recall. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think, um, you know, you're right to sort of allude to the fact there might be a couple of weaknesses. And I think it's similar with Chelsea. I think they've still got the weaknesses. Um, potentially the goalkeeper in many ways. I'm not convinced by him just yet. I think he's an upgrade on what they had before. I'm not convinced they've signed a Premier League title winning goalkeeper there just yet. But we'll see what happens. Um, and we'll finish off on perhaps the outsider of the quartet, we probably have to say, um, for many reasons. But we'll, um, we'll get your opinion on it first, Dave. So Manchester United, um, you know, kind of the challenges last season at times. It looked at one stage like they might mount a serious challenge, but it never really materialised. Um, so what do you expect? Obviously, having signed Varane already. Um, and Sancho and um, what do you expect from those two and them more generally well I can kind of keep this one quite brief I think they've they're two thirds of the way through what is pretty much a PlayStation window in terms of the caliber of players that they're signing it's like one of those transfer windows that you know football Twitter accounts suggest with the, you know their bullet point lists and stuff um, it's been a bit of a fancy situation for them really I think they are still Probably a midfielder short, like a properly, you know, world-class holding midfield player. And, you know, the general point here is the United squad in, you know, a squad of that quality in previous years could win the title as it is now. And also people talk about, you know, Solskjaer and stuff. You don't have to be a world-class manager to win one Premier League, I don't think. I think if you, if you look back, there's, there'll be a lot of managers who were merely pretty good managers who, mm-hmm. you know, things kind of fell into place in terms of the players that they had um, and, you know, the, the strength or, or lack thereof with other teams. But I think on both counts, 
gets magnified now. They're up against three of the best, three of arguably the five best managers in the world. Um, even you could even make the case three of the five or six best teams in the world as well. So all the weaknesses that they have will get magnified. Um, and I think even if they do sign that midfielder, I don't see them winning the title because I think just the level of competition that they face, I think ultimately the the, the quality of their manager. And I don't think Solskjaer has a mug, but I just don't think he can compete with, with the other three in terms of his managerial ability. Yeah, I, I couldn't have summed it up any better myself. To be honest with you. I think they've got a squad capable of winning the league. I think if you put one of the other three managers in charge of that squad, they are genuine contenders. And for the, for the sake of this conversation, we have to say they are contenders. But that's based on the players he's got at his disposal as opposed to him. And he might well prove me wrong and many others wrong and go on to be you know, an elite manager. But right now, he hasn't done it. And every time he's kind of got close to doing it, they've failed. So it doesn't look particularly great for him right now. Um, but yeah, that is just about all we've got time for. Um, obviously, we want to thank all the guests this week. Um, yeah, so we'll be doing... Um, an episode in a similar vein, uh, but obviously focusing more on Liverpool and the upcoming season. Um, our title aspirations, um, probably touch on transfers, and we're going to do a bit of a, a bit of a who's going to be the star man, who's one who's going to you know come to the fore this season, that sort of thing. A real in-depth look at Liverpool's upcoming season with a top quality guest as ever. 